appreciate you and all you're doing. Now, how many of you know that uh, it can be a little stressful on this day uh, if your team is behind and you need a little bit of How many of you need a little bit of help with stress? A little bit? Okay, I've got little stress balls here, little tiny ones, because just a little bit of stress. Can I throw them up the balcony up there? Who needs one way up there? Here we go. Oh, yeah, right there in the front. Let's see, right down here. Let's go. Let's go. I didn't throw it at this side. Oh, wow, very happy Broncos back there in the back. Let's see if I can get it back there. Nope, beating somebody in the head. That is exciting. All right, and then you're like all super happy over here. That's, you're in the front row. I can't, that's too, that's too close. I got I to gotta be able to throw. I love the front row people. You're all very important. But I'm going to try to get to the very back there. Let's see if I can do it. And it hit the wall. Hey, look at that. It hit the wall. Thank you, back row people, for holding up the church. We need you to hold that back wall up. Very, very important. I remember growing up, I, my, I, I was... Uh, I could not sit in the back row. It was, it was told to me that I shall not sit in the back row. And in fact, this is a little biblical humor here. I apologize. Uh, there's this whole story that was told back uh, in, I think it's in the book of Exodus or Numbers. I can't remember what it is. And the fire from the Lord burns the outskirts of the camp, and that'd be the back row. So, you know, just saying, you know, all right. Next week, everybody's in the front row. It is, uh, it is great to have each one of you uh, here today. And it is uh, Super Sunday, and I am wearing a, uh, a Vikings jersey. Uh, it's because I don't have a Broncos. <laughs> got one fan. Because I don't have a Broncos jersey, because that's what I would wear, but I have to wear a Vikings. But I can, but I'm from... I'm, I, I, you know, Minnesota, I spent a lot of years in Minnesota, a lot of years in Chicago, so I can be a Vikings or Bears. I would really prefer to be a Vikings over either one of those, so, uh, but Broncos is the team. Go Broncos, you're so good, you never disappoint, all right. So there have been, uh, today is the Super Bowl, for those who don't know, hopefully you do know, it's kind of a cultural moment uh, in, our, uh, in our world. Did you know a billion dollars will be exchanged today across the country and around the world? A billion dollars based on about a three and a half hour game. It's pretty amazing uh, kind of how we've been captured by this. But there have been some unexpected outcomes in the Super Bowl through its 100-year history or so. And uh, this would be, uh, the, the unexpected outcomes would be when uh, a team is uh, expected to lose, right, and then they end up not losing. It's happened a handful of times uh, in, the, uh, in the Super Bowl. I can think of a couple of them. One of those involves a team that everybody loves to hate, uh, the, uh, the Patriots. Anybody have a, oh, you're so happy. <laughs> so happy. Very, very sad. Um, you can, you can find another church. Um, the, uh, <laughs> So, Super Bowl 36 was the first appearance of Tom Brady, and they were the underdogs, in fact, 14-point underdogs, and they ended up schooling uh, the Rams. I don't remember which Rams they were at that point, St. Louis, Los Angeles, Fort Wayne. I don't remember which ones they were at that point, but, uh, but they, uh, they lost, uh, they, Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk, they lost, couldn't handle, uh, couldn't handle Tom Brady at that point, 20 to 17. And uh, then Brady goes on, incredible career, right? Uh, five, more, uh, five more Super Bowl wins, really fantastic. My favorite though, unexpected moment in football history, the one that even heaven celebrated. So this is 1998, Green Bay versus Denver Broncos. Denver was not expected to win this thing. Denver was forgotten. They were the ones like, oh, whatever, John Elway's going to cave again. 
as all of us who are Bronco fans recognized uh, through the 90s and some of the 80s. But the Broncos were the wild card team. No one on paper saw Denver winning this thing. There was just no way. But Bronco fans all over the world, and like I said, including heaven, rooting for the Denver Broncos. <laughs> the play that defines it all, though, this is the, can I show you a picture? This is the play brings tears to my eyes to this day. I'm going to start weeping right now uncontrollably. This play right here, two minutes and 16 seconds left in the third quarter, game tied 17-17. Denver faces third and six from the Packers' 12-yard line. There is no way that the Packers' defense, incredible defense, is going to give up a first down at that point because it could change the entire game. Well, Elway takes the snap. The pass play wasn't looking very good. And if you were an Elway fan uh, back then, you understand one thing about Elway. He cannot run. That is just, I mean, he lumbers down the thing. And so the, you know, the play kind of collapses around him, and he starts lumbering one yard, two yards, three yards, gets to about yard seven or so, and dives forward. And now forever etched in the history of the world is what's called the helicopter. He hits three big defenders, and he helicopters, and this is caught midair there, and it totally changes uh, the, kind of the momentum of the game in that moment. And they go on to win. Yes, Denver Broncos. Oh, and then they repeated the year after that. Very exciting. And so these are the moments, right, that we remember is when the underdog ends up uh, kind of taking the victory. I, any of you guys like underdogs? I'm kind of, I'm kind of a fan of an underdog. It makes me think of uh, um, Hunger Games and uh, the fact that President Snow does not like underdogs. But anyway... So an unexpected outcome to a game that wasn't going to be won by the other side. Nobody thought that those teams would win, but they end up winning and taking it. Now, today's game I'm kind of excited about because both of the teams are very, very good. Both of them deserve to be there. Uh, on paper, they're very, very close to one another. But we all know, if we're being honest with each other, that the Chiefs are going to win. So, I mean, that's just one of those uh, things there. So it's these kind of moments of being the underdog that I like to imitate in my own life. Now, I do not ever foresee me uh, ever playing against six foot, seven inch. I'm six, six-ish, six, five and a half. Um, I, but I don't see myself ever playing against six foot, seven, you know, 390 pound tanks. If they're running towards me, I am running away very, very quickly, hopefully be faster than them. But I do get inspired by the athleticism of a day like this. It's a, it truly is one of the things you look at and go, oh, my word, I can't believe they just did that. I mean, all those things, you look at it, and for me, it's uh, pretty awe-inspiring at times, and I would like to imitate that ability at times in my own life. So there are things that we imitate, some of them good, some of them bad, and uh, one of the things, though, is growing up when we are toddlers, I don't know if any of you remember being a toddler, anybody remember that? Uh, but when you were a toddler, you had to go through a stage in your life of imitation, you had to do it because that's how we learn to talk. That's how we learn to communicate. And so conversation would go something like this with a little toddler would say, blocks fall. And then the caregiver at the time or the parent would say, yes, blocks fall down. And then the toddler would then imitate and say, blocks fall down. And thus begins this whole process of imitation as a child begins to learn how to communicate with the world around them. And without that stage in their life, it deeply influences them for the rest of their life. 
And if that stage is skipped or somehow it's truncated or somehow is, uh, gets interrupted, it actually can affect their physical life as well because that imitation stage is so incredibly important. They copy sounds and intonations. They learn grammar that way. When all of these things happen when, when, they, when those toddlers begin to imitate. It makes me think about uh, maybe you are brand new to the church and you've, you know, you've never been a part of a church before or you, you've started, uh, started coming from a different church. You almost have to learn a different language. Have you found that out? Like when you come to church and, and people will you know, say, hey, how are you doing today? And people say, oh, praise the Lord. Brother, I am doing great. Nobody talks like that outside the church. Right, And you start trying to figure out what does this mean, and I'm trying to learn this whole thing. And so then you begin imitating uh, that kind of language and imitating the actions, and you see people raising their hands around you, and you go, oh, this is different, and it's weird, but other people are doing it, so maybe I can step in, and you start imitating. And so we are a people who imitate what's around us. I've heard it said that we are the average of the five people that are closest to us. Who are those five, five people influencing you right now? because you are a product of that influence in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, has something really astounding to say that I think is uh, at the same time encouraging as well as uh, just kind of puts a weight upon us because there's a gravity associated with what's stated here. Paul says this to the church in Corinth. He says, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So, if somebody were to follow you everywhere you went for an entire day, would they see Jesus? Man, that's a good question. And I hope you let it sink in a little bit. And so here's Paul, basically confident in this relationship that he has with God, where he says, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. I'm giving it everything I've got. Because in today's world, we imitate what we're around. So the big question arises from this, who am I imitating? Who am I imitating? Who is it that I reflect in every bit of my life? Do I reflect my parents? Do I reflect PewDiePie? If you don't know who that is, it doesn't matter. But if you do know who it is, it does matter, <laughs> right? Do I reflect other people on you? Do I re who do I reflect in my life? Um, so Paul got this whole idea that he was being watched. Does that freak you out a little bit? You're all being watched. Not by Big Brother necessarily, but you're all being watched. People are watching you every step that you take when it comes to your Christian faith. So over the next month, we're going to be diving into this letter that Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. And we're walking through the book of uh, Philippians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to this church, which they were trying to figure out some things that Paul was going through so that they could figure out how they themselves can make it through the stuff that they are going through. And the big question that we're going to be answering over the next, um, next several weeks is, who am I imitating? Who am I imitating in my attitude? Who am I imitating in my generosity? Who am I imitating when I'm serving other people? Who am I imitating when I'm following after Jesus? Who am I imitating in suffering? So Paul, we, we find out about Philippi the first time in uh, Acts chapter 16. 
And in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey, and uh, not unlike what was uh, stated earlier in that video, right, going out, going uncomfortably far, getting out there where nobody else has been on mission. And uh, so, so they get there in Philippi, and once they arrive there, and you can find the story in Acts 16, and I really encourage you, please go read this. It's fascinating. And in the process of this, they're being, um, uh, they go to a prayer meeting down by the river. Uh, they meet a demon-possessed young girl who's, under the, who's a slave under the control of the slave owners. Well, Paul casts out the demon, and then those slave owners get mad. And so a riot happens, and Paul and Silas are thrown into jail. But God shows up miraculously, helps them escape from jail, all the while leading people to Jesus Christ this entire time. So that's the introduction to Philippi, and out of this, a church is planted. That's pretty miraculous. And so time has passed, and now Paul finds himself in prison again, and the church finds out about the fact that Paul's in prison, and the church is disturbed. Now, if I was in prison, I hope you would be disturbed as well. <laughs> right? I hope they'd be like, oh, wow, pastor's in prison. Wonder what he did, right? That's going to be the question. <laughs> so, uh, so, this, so Paul's in prison now, and the church is very, very much concerned. Concerned on a couple of different levels, because for the church, looking to their leader at the time, and really it was a vastly different world than what we live in today. There was no Twitter. There was no way to get easy information back and forth. And so there was a deep concern that Paul was being mistreated, that there was a brokenness. Along with that was that the advancement of the gospel had stopped. That Paul, what are we going to do now? Because you were the one kind of leading the charge. What's going to happen now? Because now it has been stopped. And a situation has been thrust upon you that you did not expect. It wasn't like Paul was walking around uh, to the Romans. Hey, arrest me. That's the next thing I want to do today is I want to be arrested. But he gets arrested. And it feels as if this gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, has stopped because of a circumstance that was unlooked for because of a downturn in, in the outlook for Paul's life, this downturn means that all of a sudden the gospel can't move forward. Have you ever faced circumstances where, where you feel like this? Where, uh, where it feels like the, the bottom has dropped out? Where the circumstances are such you go, boy, I don't see a way forward. And maybe you know somebody who you looked up to and now all of a sudden it seems like the bottom is dropping out of their life and you're wondering, should I be imitating them? Should I, how, how are they going to process this in their own life? So Paul writes this letter from prison, which says something about Paul's circumstances in the first place. So he's in prison and he's writing to this church saying, hey, church, there might be something more to than, than what you're seeing on the outside. Let me help you with this. So the letter to Philippians was written in part to address their concern for his circumstances uh, in prison and its effect on his ministry. From their perspective, imprisonment meant a huge setback, a huge setback. Have you ever faced setbacks in your life? I remember one time I was in the middle of uh, this really, really big construction project and I was super, I had collected all the resources that I needed and, and was in the process of building this incredible thing. And uh, honestly, I mean, it was, it was going to change the world. Uh, it, was, it was so awesome and functional and wonderful. I hadn't kind of revealed it yet uh, to the world. And um, well, then the unexpected happened. I died and I lost all my stuff, never to get it back. That's Minecraft for you, folks. That is filled with setbacks. This is what I had right here. 
I died. Score of zero, right? Got nothing for me. And so these setbacks, right, we faced, now obviously the setback in the church was feeling as much more than this, but we have those moments in our life, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, once again, it's okay, all right? You don't have to go out and know what's going on in Minecraft. Um, but, uh, but, but this whole thing was going on for the church, and they were wondering, is this a setback that we're not going to recover from? Is this a setback where we're going to lose all of our stuff? Is this a setback where all of a sudden what we were proclaiming was the freedom of Christ is now in bondage because of a physical imprisonment of Paul, our leader? Paul begins this letter in Philippians chapter 1, beginning of verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, talking to the church, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And this next part of the verse I love, because this might be a verse for many of you. Some of you have like life verses that have kind of um, uh, been the thing that shaped your Christian experience. It says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Man, talk about confidence from somebody who should have no confidence. Talk about a perspective from somebody who was shackled has no freedom of his own. He can't say, hey, I'm going to go down to uh, 7-Eleven and pick up a big gulp. There's nothing available for him except to receive punishment, to receive orders, no freedom of his own. And yet he says to his church that he was leading, hey, I know God's not done yet. He's going to complete this work in you that he started. So Paul, from the beginning of this letter, had a perspective that was at odds with the church. The church was saying, this is over. Uh, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. This is not over. And then he gets to the point at hand. So their fear had been told to him, uh, perhaps by some visitors to Paul in prison. And so the story would go something along the lines of people had just come from the, from the church at Philippi, had told Paul, hey, Paul, man, that church is struggling with what's going on right now. They heard that you're in prison and they are fearful for you. They're fearful for what's going to happen next for the church here in the city. Uh, they're fearful for their witness because now their leader is in jail. What does that look like reflecting on them? And is Jesus really powerful enough to get somebody through a difficult circumstance? So Paul continues his letter in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. And uh, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters that what has happened to me, dot, dot, dot. So th this to me, as he's starting this out, this is like, um, have you ever been part of organized sports? Raise your hand real quick. Organized sports, football, soccer, uh, yard darts, you know, whatever it is. Okay. So raise your hand again really quickly. You've been part of organized sports at some level. Re recreation. Okay, good. Look at Lots of hands up. So to me, this is, this is like a pep talk uh, from a coach. This is kind of what it's, what it's shaping up to be. And as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking of Denzel Washington um, in, um, in uh, uh, Remember the Titans, and then Gene Hackman in Hoosiers, right? And so the team is up against uh, odds that they're not in their favor. They're the underdogs. And this is what Paul is. He's feeling like the church feels like the underdog. And Paul's like, okay, here's what I want. I want you to know. Lean in close. I want to tell you. This might look like that we're behind. This might look like that we're in a situation where we are defeated, but let me tell you something about my imprisonment. This is what I feel like is going on right now in Paul's life and how he's sharing this letter, pulling the, pulling the team close, pulling this church close, saying, okay, I want you to know what has happened to me. What's happened to him? He's been thrown in jail. He's in prison. 
but he goes on. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, Paul was all about mission, right? This is, this is one of the early leaders in the church. This is the guy who is persecuting the church. God radically transforms his, his life, knocking him off of a horse or a donkey, right? N- knocking him off blindness in his life for a, for a period of days, miraculous healing. This is the guy now who is saying, hey, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The story of Jesus Christ will not be stopped because of an imprisonment. Paul's insight shatters the notion of defeat in, uh, in uh, verse 12, claiming that his circumstances actually served to advance the gospel rather than holding it back. Hearing this news would have been like dropping a theological bomb, <laughs> destroying their flawed perspective about the situation. And in fact, the advancement served a really incredible purpose. This is what he says. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So, because Paul was in prison, doors opened. Because of a difficult circumstance in Paul's life, a new way was presented to him to share the gospel of Christ. Think about your own circumstances. Think about the unexpected unemployment in your life. You were handed the pink slip this week. Could it be that God is able to work through that Maybe this open door is one of those things where because you now have to go to the unemployment office, because you now have to travel differently, maybe God has in store for you this circumstance to allow the gospel of Christ to be advanced. Maybe a sickness that you're walking through is an opportunity for God to use it to reach nurses and doctors. Maybe a situation in your neighborhood (laughs) A terrible situation. I'm thinking right now of um, uh, there was a fire just uh, last night uh, just down the road at an apartment complex. Is God able to use even tragic moments where there's loss, uh, there was no loss of life, thankfully, and no injuries uh, in that, but able to take loss and to turn it around and somehow provide new opportunities? Now, obviously, in all of this, we have to be super careful how we, how we manage suffering and difficulties and things. And does, is God the one who caused X, Y, Z to happen? No, because there's sin in the world. There's brokenness, and there are bad things, and bad people do bad things, and we recognize that. However, what I believe about God is, just like with Paul, that God is able to open up doors where they seem to be shut. That God is able to take circumstances that seem dire in your life, turn them around somehow for the kingdom of God to use them for his glory. Think about who it is that received the witness of Jesus Christ from Paul, the imperial guard, the very ones who would be arresting him, the very ones who probably from time to time would take pot shots at him. Paul, every single time that happened, every single moment that he had the opportunity, he says, hey, guys. I'm in prison here, but it's okay. I'm in, I am facing a difficult circumstance in my life, but it is just fine with me because I have a captive audience with you. 
you have to look over me, so I'm going to tell you about Jesus right now. (laughs) And so this perspective was radically altering for the church in Philippi radically transformed the way that they looked at the circumstances of their life. And what it says, remember what it says a little bit, it says, uh, and, and the brothers haven't become more confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment. They're much more bold to speak the word. Who knows that when, when you are imprisoned, when circumstances in your life say that you have been defeated, who knows that God can cause boldness in other people's lives by watching your life and the way that you handle the suffering the way that you handle the discomfort, the way that you handle it. In our world today, there's a celebration. What, what does the world say when you reach a moment of discomfort, of, um, of, dis- of, of distortion in your life? What does the world say to do? Let's just say uh, you just lost your job. The world would say, go out and buy a car. You're going to feel really good about that. <laughs> How many of you have stress bought something before? Just be honest, right? Raise your hand, look around, right? We're in that same boat. I'm raising my hand as well, right? Stress by things. The world says, imitate me. We see it all the time in the media. If you just buy this, your life will be fulfilled. If you just do this, if you undertake this activity, if if you smoke, you know, whatever it is, right? If you do this, everything's going to make sense and it's going to be okay. If we imitate that, where does that lead? Destruction. But if we imitate Christ, and really we see it in Paul's actions, there is new life that is born within us. New life that is born not only within us, but within those who are around us. Now, you might say, this is a pretty heavy topic uh, to be talking about on Super Sunday. Come on, pastor, make it lighter. (laughs) But I believe this is super important for us as a church, to recognize that we're being watched. How do we handle moments when we, in faith, are in discomfort? How do we handle moments when there's destruction around? How do we handle moments when we are struggling? Do we handle them like Paul, who says, God, I know you're going to use this. God, I know you're going to take it even in the middle middle of my imprisonment, the moment when I feel like my freedoms are taken away, God still you are at work. And I'm never going to deny that. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet here real quickly and invite our musicians to come on out here as we close out. So God will be able to take all of these moments in your life to shape you into an imitator of Christ in the deepest part of suffering in our lives. God can take all of these things. God can take all of these moments to create something new, to create something beautiful in our lives. Remember, God doesn't cause these things to happen, but God is able to use these for his kingdom and for his glory. The great thing is, we imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. And as we find out the next three weeks, as ultimately in all this, we imitate Christ, that when we do this, that the message of the gospel of Christ is extended through our lives, just like the grace we talked about a few weeks ago, right? It's extended through us, bringing new hope and new life. Every head bowed, every head closed for just a moment. You know, finding uh, meaning in tough circumstances brings up some big questions for us. Uh, There are those of you who are here today, and I believe at the very core of what we're talking about today is Jesus Christ. 
You see, without a relationship with him, we really don't have anywhere else to turn. That relationship with him is not a a series of, of do's and don'ts, but what it is, is this open door for us to experience God in the flesh through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you've never experienced him, you've never chosen to follow him, never said, uh, Jesus, I want to to live for you. If if that's you this morning and you're struggling, trying to find meaning in the middle of struggle, and maybe that's why you're here today, because of a struggle in your own life, something that just isn't making sense. What I'm here to tell you is that Jesus can bring sense to right now what feels pretty senseless in your life. Every Every head bowed, every head closed for just a moment. You're here this morning. You say, Pastor, that's me. I'm struggling. I know I don't have Jesus in my life. I know I need him to bring some sense into what's going on in my life right now. And I do want to trust him with my life. If that's you, can you just lift your hand really quickly? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A number of hands up. Thank you. Thank you. And praise the Lord. All right, Father God, you see every one of these hands that are raised. God, I'm excited because, uh, God, these are opportunities for you to show your divine power and your strength in circumstances. And so, God, we commit to you our ways. God, that we would be able to look to your son, Jesus Christ, to imitate him in the middle of of his suffering. God, we can imitate that uh, that same way to, uh, to deal with suffering and to find on the other side that there is hope. On the other side, there's dignity. On the other side, there's the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna invite everybody to just repeat a very simple prayer after me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for changing my life. Help me, Jesus, to see you in the trials of my life, that I would imitate you in suffering to bring you glory and honor. And Jesus, help me to live boldly for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I thank you for this congregation. And God, let it be said of us that we are bold imitators of Jesus Christ. Lord, help it to be said of us that regardless of the circumstances of our life, that our eyes are always upon you, always upon the opportunities that are are new for us to share Jesus with the world around us. Lord, we love you this day. God, we give you all the glory and all the honor and thank you in advance for the work you're gonna do in our lives. Lord, we praise you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Don't forget next week, continuation of our series. If you'd like prayer, we'd love to pray with you. And as you go to your parties tonight, have a great time and be safe. God bless you.